everybody. This is Bill Knauer, and you're listening to Author to Author, where we talk about writing and life, because what it takes to write the book you want to write is also what it takes to lead the life you want to lead. That's true. Author to Author is brought to you by Author Magazine, the premier free writing magazine on the internet, featuring articles on writing and the writing life, as well as video interviews with best-selling and award-winning authors across the genres. You can find Author Magazine at authormagazine.org, and we are funded by the good people at the Pacific Northwest Writers Association, supporting writers from pen to publication since 1955. If you want to learn more about the PNWA, just go on over to pnwa.org. That's right. So we had a great guest on, Claire Haywood, who is a uh, started out as a scholar, but left, decided not to pursue an academic career, became a novelist instead. <clears throat> she wrote Daughters of Sparta. It's a national bestseller, and she's got a new book out, Drops Today, Today, people, the shadow of Perseus, very interesting woman. I love the stories of people who move from, not, I have nothing against academia, really, although I sometimes sound like I do, but I don't. But it's a very different way of writing, a different way of thinking, and she's translated into some really compelling stories, and yeah, she was a cool woman, cool woman. So I'm glad I got to meet her, and I got to have that conversation. Like I said, she is a scholar of the ancient world, with a bachelor's degree in classical civilization, and a master's degree in ancient and visual, or excuse me, in ancient visual and material culture from the University of Warwick. Her first novel, Daughters of Sparta, was a national bestseller. Latest novel, Shadow of Perseus, and here is my fabulous conversation with her. Enjoy. All right, look, it's Claire Haywood. Claire, how are you doing? I'm very well, Bill. Thank you. Yeah, so uh, we're speaking about six days before Shadow of Perseus drops in the UK and in, am I, is it Perseus or it's Perseus, right? I'm like Perseus, yeah. Okay, I suddenly had a crisis of confidence <laughs> there in my pronunciation. All right, that drops, per, the Shadow of Perseus drops on the 21st, just as this podcast is going and so this is book novel number two novel number is, two yeah. how are you feeling how are you feeling it's coming up how do you how do you feel as that day rolls closer uh um, it's been a long time coming um as with most publications really um yeah, yeah. I, I can't think exactly how long ago it was i finished it but i've i think it was at least a year ago um and it's you know it's been a slow process leading up to it um, but genuinely, I'm I'm excited for it to come out. Uh, I yeah. put a lot of work into this one, yeah. um, and I, I just want to see how it goes down and what people think about it. Yeah, you know, Claire, if I had to guess, I'm going to say you put a lot of work into whatever you do. You strike <laughs> me as the sort of person who maybe is that way. Is that fair? You're pretty spot on. Yeah, uh, <laughs> that is that is a large part of my personality. I would say <laughs> that's all right. You know what? Sometimes they're called workaholics. Sometimes they're called perfectionists. And maybe, but there's also a pleasure in giving something your full attention and really giving it your full effort. I think there's a pleasure in that, don't you? You got it, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm not really sure where the drive comes from, but you know, from a from a young age, that's how I've always been. You know, yeah. um, I, I really struggle to do things by half. So yeah, yeah. Oh, good. For you. Don't don't bother. Don't bother. All or nothing. Yeah. All right. So, like I said, this is novel number two, Shadow Person, and it's so it's it's not a series, but you your first book was the Women of Sparta, and so you you're looking at ancient Greece and the myths and stories and times, but told from a different perspective. Um, come to that, but you your interest in the classics in that era predates these novels. You are by trade 
your day job, I don't know if it still is, is a classis, classics yeah, historian? I mean, I, is that... I would say it's um, it's my educational background, at least. Okay. Um, I, I studied um, classics at university um, and got a master's degree as well. Um, so I spent, you know, a good few years doing that in an academic setting. Um, but then when it came to further study and PhD, I decided to turn away from that path. Um, but I still remained within classics to some um, extent. Um, I became a, a tour guide for a while at a, an ancient Roman site. Just so that I could still be involved in, in uh. the ancient world and kind of spread my enthusiasm and continue researching and learning about you know that period um and then luckily my my writing took off so i've been able to stay in that world although in a less official academic capacity um oh but you know what what you're doing now what you're doing now claire you're bringing it to the people you're bringing it to the people and i don't, I don't actually i'm joking a little bit but in truth sometimes it's it's the stories like this that really you reach an audience that never would have thought they were interested in that time and place yeah absolutely i mean i, I I see that as a large part of the reason that I write these stories. Yeah. Um, especially, although I am a classicist by training and I did that at university before that stage of my life, I hadn't had a uh, formal introduction to classics and I hadn't had um, an educational background that allowed me to study classics. I don't know what it's like in the US so much, but in the UK, that tends to be more limited to private education. Mm. Um, so that was something that I hadn't had access to. So really, my only introduction to classics as a younger person was through, you know, um, popular media um, films right. and, books and things. So I kind of see what I'm doing now as contributing to other people being able to access these stories in other ways. So what, because my, actually, one of my good friends studied the classics in college, and I was one of his, before he became a lawyer. So I don't know, you study the classics to become something else sometimes, but what drew you to that? Because, you know, it was a long time ago. Hey, what does it matter to me now? I'm on Twitter and <laughs> Tinder or whatever. I mean, what, how does it, how does, how does the classics, why did it resonate with you as a young person? Um, It's difficult to say. I mean, as a lot of people do i mean I, I i was interested in the myths first of all when i was a, yeah. a child you know a lot of people read greek myths and they're just exciting stories and adventures and it's very easy to to get in um in that way but i think i was also a kind of natural linguist um as i say ah. at school i didn't really study um, ancient languages but i did study french um to a fairly yeah. high level and yeah. i really enjoyed the process of learning a language for for you know actual use in the real world but also right. as a kind of academic exercise and a bit of a puzzle to put together yeah. um i love you know the origins of words in english i'm you know i'm obsessed with the english language as well so i think that was a natural progression for me i i really wanted to learn latin and ancient greek um as a kind of linguistic interest um but then aside from that it's it's such a a broad um subject to be able to study um because my degree was was quite wide it wasn't just um languages and literature right you also got to do kind of other aspects of culture art and archaeology right. um, history of course and philosophy and i think i've just got quite a a broad interest in humanity so it was yeah. a it was a course where i could study all those different aspects of a civilization without having to specify literature or history or philosophy you know what it reminds me of just thinking about it because i think about the classics and that era you know, Rome and Greece, that and Persia, I guess, also, but we tend to focus on the, in the West more Rome and Greece. And it reminds me a little bit, I know it's going to sound weird, but follow me if you can, high school <laughs> in this way, because it's like 
we're all when we're in or what we call I don't know what they call it high school in Britain or not, but you know, ages up until 17 or so, you know, that era when you're an adult physically, but mentally you're not. And you're all kind of in you've not begun a career yet. And it struck me as like the world was so forming at that point. I mean, what we were going to become was just in its sort of really kind of its baby bird form, although there were full empires and wars being fought, but we were so still coming out of kind of the darkness of pre-civilization, pre-literate, you know, I think, mm-hmm. right? I mean, I remember, I think Socrates complained about writing. He said, no one's going to talk anymore now that we can do that. So, And so there's a kind of fascination with us in our little baby form. Does that make, does that resonate at all? Uh, yeah, no, I think that is one of the the huge factors that draws people to the classics because you can um, start to identify those those roots of our current civilization yeah. um, thousands of years ago. And it's interesting both in the ways that um, those things have changed, you know, yeah. we see how they began, began and then developed over time and, you know, might have become radically different, but also the ways that they've kind of stayed the same. I mean, yeah. more so, I would say, probably with the Romans, but, you know, also with the Greeks, there are aspects of culture where you're reading, a, you know, an ancient tragedy or something, and you just see this spark of humanity that's barely changed at all, you know. Yeah. That's one of the things that really compels me, I would say. Yeah. So, okay, so you're, let me just see, so you you're, you get your master's in the classics. Do you get a PhD or do you, do you say, no, enough, I, enough? I, yeah, <laughs> I, uh, I, it was, it was definitely a route that I was um, exploring and uh-huh. considered seriously, um, but I, I didn't take that option. Um, okay. I mean, partly as we were saying about you know um, novels being bringing classics to the people, you know, yeah. uh, to me, I think further academia felt a little bit like an ivory tower. That's not yeah. to denigrate the work that academics no, no. do. And I absolutely no. appreciate it and I use it all the time. But I think just for me personally, it would have felt a little bit insular um, and for, for too small and too niche an audience, basically. Were you, so were you writing secretly, fiction, creatively while you were doing all this nitty gritty, because acad- I'll tell you, academic writing, it's not for the faint of heart it's certainly it's it's a different approach to the english language i will say absolutely i mean i i found that i actually got on very well with academic writing yeah um, and yeah. it was something that came quite naturally to me and I, I enjoyed doing all the research and everything um and while i was doing those years of study i didn't write creatively at all no um, wow. i was I, as, as i said i don't do things by half so i was 100 percent right. committed to the academic life and i really sunk my teeth into it and i you know put my life on hold to to just study for those years basically right um and then it was after I'd done my master's and I decided not to do the PhD that I thought now is my opportunity to, well, to revisit writing because I had done it as a younger person um, and to to commit in the same way, 100% to trying to write a novel, essentially. Um, yeah. And that's what I did. And so was, so the, your first published novel is The Women of Sparta. Was that the first novel you started or were there a few other babies, few <laughs> aborted efforts before that? Um, there were, but you know, it was very much um teen writer stage, you know. Oh, really? Kind of, okay. You know, the beginnings of fantasy novels and things like sure. that, but not nothing very substantial. I mean, I I'd kind of just written like short stories for fun and stuff like that, but um, no, no nothing on the scale of of trying to actually write my first novel. So when you sat down to write, so the first book that you sat down as an adult 
Does seriously right was the women of Sparta? Uh, yeah, daughters of Sparta. Yeah, the daughters. Excuse me, the daughters of Sparta. Yeah, that's fine. Um, wow. Hey, pretty good. So, and had you been roaming? So there you are. You're giving people tours. You're reading up the classics, and in your mind, you thought Sparta, interesting. But there was more than one type of person living in Sparta, but we only ever hear about one for the most part. When I think of Sparta, I think about yeah. a bunch of half-naked men shaking their spears at each other. And so when did you think, I think we got to tell another side of this? When did that yeah. start bubbling around? <laughs> I mean, what, what you just said was actually one of my fears when when the first book was coming out, the fact that it's called Daughters of Sparta. I thought, you know, having Sparta in the title, people are Im immediately going to think of that macho sparta yeah um, because yeah. that is the version that we see in in popular media and in academia as well that is sure. the side that is focused on um but really i mean the although the book is half set in sparta it's not about spartan culture i wouldn't say mm -hmm. um only, only because when we say spartan culture really we mean um in the classical era right. at the same time that they're vying with classical athens yeah um and this book was actually set in the bronze age um so quite a few centuries prior to that culture right. that I gotta we learn associate my... with sparta gotcha okay so this is pre the the sort of the classic conflict that we, we've come to know and love and sort of yeah uh, all right okay uh and so all right, so you, you write that and and uh, you publish it. Oh my goodness, and it does all right. I mean, it does better than all right. It's it's and let me let me ask you this: you're it's hard. You're a little modest, maybe in your I don't know, maybe in your private moments, not so much. But uh, when it did start doing well, were you surprised, delighted? Did you think, yeah, I wrote a great book? Of course, it's doing well. Yeah, I I think so much of that side of things just feels out of your control so you're just yeah. praying that it happens you know like <laughs> I, I can control the book that I've written but beyond that um yeah. you just feel like you're on a roller coaster I mean I I was elated when I even just got the the publishing deal sure. for the U.S. um because it suddenly felt so much more international and it's reaching yeah. this this wider audience um and obviously the fact that it sold so well um yeah. was surprising and you know amazing and I, I was very grateful um was that, that pre-covid or during covid um it was it was during covid yeah um I okay. I um I got my original UK publisher's deal um literally like three months before covid happened right. you know before yeah. lockdowns happened yeah um so then that was all going on you know very much during the the height of covid and yeah. the american deal i think came through once all the lockdown stuff had already started so it was a strange thing to be dealing with you know during a, a global pandemic because i mean selfishly you were doing great were coming through, you know? <laughs> hey then, you know what i i talked to another author about that she felt so bad i'm like look man don't feel don't feel bad because you know we don't all have to actually if you're suffering do you really want everyone else to suffer really no you don't yeah of course not yeah. but also i'm impressed so i published a book during lockdown the kind of books i write are tend to be more personal growth and they really depend upon me being there with the people, which I really couldn't do. It was a bit of kind of disappointing because I just couldn't, I had to do Zoom stuff, but I'm sure you did some Zoom stuff, but it wasn't, the, this kind of book apparently didn't need you touring bookstores to help get the word out. Did you do social media at all? Yes. Um, I've, I've, I mean, I, I'm a little bit of a Luddite, I will admit. I'm, I'm, oh. <laughs> I'm not, I mean, I would, that's maybe a bit strong, but I'm not, um, I'm not, very into technology and social media but um 
you know, I, I think that it's a very interesting, you know, cultural thing and I have adopted it and I, you know, I use the platforms as an author. Um, so, and it, it, to be honest, I, I probably hadn't anticipated how important it would become because of, um, the pandemic and, and lockdowns and everything. I wasn't able to, you know, see much of my book in the real world, but I was yeah. getting all these updates on Instagram and stuff. And actually that was a really valuable part of the experience to me in the end. So yeah. I'm glad that I did kind of you know, dip my toe into that. There are people who this thing called book talk, you know, I where people just doing a lot of stuff on book talk. I think it's not mm -hmm. every kind of writer thrives in that, but there's certain kind of stories where particularly but I do think a book in the end sells because people like it and tell their friends about it. I mean, I just think it's the mm -hmm. way a book really spreads around if someone says this, you gotta, you know, you gotta check this out. So okay, so it does well. And so it's tail it's telling a story about a time and place from a different point of view. Mm -hmm. Um and now, but that was more like his that was, I mean, obviously it's fiction, but you were basing it more not on mythological Sparta, but more on real on well, what do we know about Sparta during the Bronze Age? It's probably pretty dodgy, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. Our knowledge of, of Bronze Age Greece, you know, on the whole is very patchy. Um, yeah. And even more so for Sparta, really, there's not a lot to go on. Okay. Um, so, yeah, it was a process of, of learning about as much as I could about the culture of that time period um, and then applying that to Sparta but I couldn't do so in a very, you know, specific way. Right. Um, you know, I'm sure that there were various variations across regions, but we just don't have enough evidence right. to be able to, you know, pin those down. Right. Um, but I did a lot of generalized research about um, Mycenaean Greece is how we refer to it. And that's basically, you know, the culture of Mycenae, which at the time seems to have been the cultural hub. Um, uh, so understanding that culture and then applying it across uh, the rest of the region, basically. Right. Um, but yeah, it, it was very much rooted in a historical setting um, that I tried to recreate, but then also bringing in a lot of mythology and uh, literature, I suppose, classical literature right. um, as, as an inspiration and as something to kind of um, bounce off and respond to. But so then we put, so for those, Shadow of Perseus is based on myth of Perseus, which if you're not up on your Greek myths, is the dude who cut off Medusa's head. He did a lot besides it, but that's what he is perhaps best known for. It goes into the no, no, wait. With the maze, is he also see? I really don't know. Is he the maze <laughs> who had to deal with that's, also the, uh, the Minotaur? No, that's Theseus. They've right. got similar what? names, but thank yeah. you, thank you for helping me. I just okay. So anyway, but so you take it, say no, no, we're gonna so you want to also tell that from the women sort of surrounding Perseus, mm -hmm. including, including, I mean, if I understand correctly, this story started for you. When you got interested in Medusa herself. Yeah. The Medusa, um, Medusa. So talk to me about that. Well, I mean, as you say, she is the most famous part of Perseus' story. Um, yeah. You yeah. know, it, it, in our modern cultural understanding of the story, but also, you know, in the ancient period, um, she she was treated more so than than the rest of the characters. You know, that that part of the story seems to have been quite compelling for people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that is where it started um, because I, I'd kind of had, before I wrote Daughters of Sparta even, I had an idea about a short story about Medusa just as an interesting thing to think about just because right. she's, you know, um, that kind of character that I think attracts a lot of reflection and different, you know, um, opinions about. But um, so I kind of started at that point, but then when I was reading the, 
the whole kind of corpus of the myth and all the different literary sources that I could get my hands on, I realized actually there's these two other women that are, are just as pivotal to that story yeah. and potentially just as interesting, but most people wouldn't even know the names of or be able to right. tell you very much about them. Um, so I decided to expand it into this um, a larger scale narrative that covered all three women um, and from their perspectives, but managing to tie it into one story that kind of covered the the arcing myth of Perseus. Right. And so, I mean, here's the thing that's interesting about that. So that's an idea like, oh, that, that would be interesting. Mm-hmm. But, you know, writing is such an interest to me, a, a um, somewhat mysterious pursuit, because until you actually start doing the thing, you don't know if you actually have anything, A, that's interesting or that you're interested in. You know, mm-hmm. something can seem interesting to you in theory. Mm-hmm. And then you start writing it and you go, eh. But obviously, once you got into it, you were like, yeah, this is about as cool as I thought it might be. Yeah, is that yeah. fair? Is that kind of how <laughs> yeah. it went? And I, well, I agree that you, you don't know um, when you're setting out. Um, and a lot of it comes out in the writing. You just, you kind of, you can think, well, this is seems like a good structure, and in theory, you know, um, it it should work out. But um, a lot of it comes out th- through the actual writing process. Yeah. And uh, you know, even though I had already, well, I had the myth to to guide me anyway, and I had already sort of pre-imagined how I was going to play with the myth. But even right. so, as you're writing, you're you're fixing problems and parts of the narrative that just don't quite feel right or don't feel yeah. like they're going to have enough payoff. And, you know, um, you just have to do that work as you go along. Yeah. Yeah. And the nature of myth is it it paints with broad brushstrokes. I mean, that's sort of the pleasure of it, I think. Um, but novels do not paint with such broad brushstrokes. And, and particularly you're getting characters who might have just gotten a little dot on the canvas right and you're fleshing them out and so you get to get into even though you're dealing with a myth you have to treat it as realism in order Mm -hmm. for it to come to life to get Mm -hmm. deeper into it and so you had to look at the myth you had to really make it your own story right Mm -hmm. i mean it's everyone's story but now it becomes your own is that kind of how you went about it and I think that um, realism is the word that 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 is my approach to writing. I mean, it's yeah. not the only way to approach myth retelling. Some people, you know, make it essentially a, a fantasy uh, right. novel. Right. Um, but my interest is in historical realism um, yeah. and what that says about societies in the past and societies in the present. And, yeah. you know, the way that those structures impact the story that's being told you know the the culture can't be separated from the story is the way that I see it which is why I do so much research to try and understand the the setting that I'm building that very much informs how these characters are living the decisions that they make and the the options that are open to them Um, that's so interesting because when I teach a lot of memoir writing and that's kind of what I do and one of the things I remind my students is in order to tell a story about yourself from the past, you have to remember what you believed at the time you were living something because your beliefs always influence the decisions you make. And sometimes you have to remember, and it's almost like its own culture. In other words, what I thought about life and and success and everything when I was 25 was like I created my own culture in my mind and I was sort of driven by it. So it's sort of the same thing that our we, we aren't complete slaves to our environment, but how can we not be responding to and you have to know what that actual belief system was really Mm -hmm. what the and 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 divorce yourself from the present self who knows what she knows 
don't you? I mean, you have to kind of go back there without any presumptions a little bit. Mm hmm. Yeah. And especially, I mean, as we've said, the, the period that I'm writing in, we we don't have full knowledge of. Um, and right. there is quite limited material in terms of archaeology and, and written evidence. Um, so it, it becomes a puzzle to me, you know, finding the pieces of evidence that are available and trying to put that together into some sort of culture. But the thing that we're we're lacking the most really is you know the the way that people thought you know the the opinions yeah. that they had we might know you know what kind of there was no youtube or... no exactly there was no, YouTube, no podcasts <laughs> i don't understand at least, at least with later periods like the romans for example we have yeah. lots of things like personal letters and diaries yeah. and things like that you yeah. know but this period there is absolutely nothing of that kind of yeah. material um so in terms of reconstructing people's thought processes and their relationships to one another it's it's a lot more fragmented and there has to be a lot of guesswork involved yeah. but that i mean that's where i come in as the as the the writer to to try and imagine those things based on what we do know essentially here's an interesting question so you have you are you you're interested in, in historical realism but you're obviously interested in stories you're interested mm -hmm. in stories about women at a time when women's stories weren't real I mean, there are obviously there's there are myths and Greek tragedies where women play a central role, but often more about men. I guess, I guess, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm not. Maybe I'm actually not because I didn't study that. But what? And that's part of your interest, right? You come from that angle, but then you write the book. What, based on your uh, reactions from your readers, what do they like about it? Is, are they also interested in that, or is there is there are they interested in something a little different than you were interested in? Can you glean any of that? Um, I, to be, I, it usually surprises me the amount of varied reactions that you can yeah. get from readers because people will like completely opposite things, you know, and I, I do get a lot of people that enjoy the emotional realism and complexity of it, which is something yeah. that I strive for. Um, at the same time, you get people that are disappointed because it's not fantastical enough or you know right. it feels too real right um, especially when you're writing about historical women people are frustrated because these women you know don't make the decisions that they might make or don't right. have the opinions that they might have or right. don't have enough agency to make them seem like active characters but right. really that's one of the things that I'm writing about mm. obviously um to to kind of look at different types of agency um and different types of strength that aren't yeah. just i'm gonna stomp around and do whatever i want to do but right. have to do with survival and adaptation and you know um just existing within a culture that is really set up against your your will and your right happiness. and and most most people wouldn't have it in mind to try to change even consider changing everything and most i think people live assuming nothing will ever change this is how it's going to be forever so you got to live so that makes sense they want to see their heroines behaving the way they would behave now but it's mm -hmm. not the way it probably was back then ah so interesting and so okay we're not really in lockdown anymore things are still are getting better i, I i'm just gonna just keep going with that assume that's what happened <laughs> so are you going to go and meet the people face to face <laughs> stand at the podium are you going to do it? Are you going to do it? I I have done a few small events in the UK. Um, okay. Obviously, that's where I'm based. Yeah. Um, and I I do enjoy, you know, meeting readers and, and talking about books and, you know, yeah. the stories that I'm telling. Um, but I, 
I also find it um, quite anxiety-inducing. Oh, <laughs> you know, oh, I'm a bit of I'm a bit of a nervous person, yeah. and I think it's 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 common for a lot of authors um, to be quite introverted and um, yeah, a little bit reclusive. Yeah. But <laughs> I, I I'm aware of not letting that overtake too much. You know, um, although it's my instinct to to kind of hide away a little bit. Um, you know, I I do want to to reach out and um, to kind of be involved in the in the kind of literary world that I'm contributing to it you know and to talk to people and and share the enthusiasm in in some restricted way (laughs) so you know they're gonna they're gonna you're gonna show up there they're gonna want to ask you questions they're gonna be so interested in you uh what if what if academia came knocking and said you you write these books they're so interesting you clearly know a lot about yes you don't have a phd but we don't care we are interested in fame and you're a successful writer. We want you to come lecture about about that, not your books, not even creative writing, but just that era. Would you do it? Would you answer the call? Um, I think it's something that I would consider. Um, because I would, you know, I would I would find it um fulfilling, you know, intellectually and and to be able to, as I say, kind of um reach out in that way. And as a, it was a career path that I was considering anyway, yeah. you know, one of the um, appeals of doing a PhD and becoming a professional academic was the lecturing side of things, not just, yeah. you know, being shut away in my office doing yeah. research. Um, I, I like communicating. I just find it stressful. That That's sure. the tricky thing. It's, it's a dichotomy for me, but you know, um, I have, I have a sort of will to it, but at the same time, it scares me. Yeah. Um, Jerry so Seinfeld. I, I try to take opportunities, but <laughs> Good. keep doing it. Jerry, Jerry Seinfeld, the comedian had a very funny joke about the people's the number one fear for most people is public speaking in public. And that is more than, more than dying. He said, that means at the funeral, you'd rather be the one in the box than giving the eulogy in general. (laughs) So you're not alone. You're not alone. A lot of people worry. Okay. Listen, I hope you have, I hope you have lots of opportunities to overcome that fear and people are just begging you to come talk. But so best of luck for those listeners, it drops today. Shadow of Perseus. Go get it. People go get it. It's where I'll find books are sold. I'm not quite done with you yet though. Not quite done with you, Claire. So here you go. You've written book two. I know you're working on another book. I can just feel it. I think you got another one in there. But I want you to think about all the writing you've done, even the academic writing, which I'll call writing, even that academic stuff. And if it's taught you anything, it's taught you what? Um, I, I think most of all, it it's taught me things about myself, um, which isn't some kind of grand wisdom that I can necessarily pass on to other people but there are a few things as solitary as sitting down and writing a novel I think Um, so you spend a lot of time in your own brain um, and kind of testing your own capabilities um, and sort of your your limits but also your potential sometimes you surprise yourself Um, and I think it's kind of taught me things about the way that my brain works because I think previously I always thought I was a very kind of rational person. As I said, I, I got on well with <laughs> academia and research and I'm very good at, you know, tackling things sensibly um, and, you know, having a plan and whatever. But when you're actually in the process of writing, I find that a lot of it is very intuitive um, in a way that surprises me. And it just kind of comes out from somewhere that I don't fully understand with my my rational brain. You know, it's not a fully active process there's there's something else going on there which i always find strange and interesting and surprising well you're speaking my language now 
to all your listeners, your rational mind, almost useless to you in terms of creative writing of any kind. It just isn't going to help. There's something else far more useful called your intuition. I totally agree. Claire, you're awesome. Congratulations on the book. I wish you nothing but success with it. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. See? Intuitive. Intuitive. That's right. You know, uh, you can't really, there's not much place for intuition in the halls of scholarship. Maybe, maybe there is. There, actually, there's room for it everywhere, but you need it when you write. Oh boy, you need it. It's your best guide. Listen, I want to thank my producer, RJ Jeffries. Thank you, my friend. To all of you out there, trust your intuition. Trust it. It's, it's really your best. It just is, it's, speaks to you in a language only you understand. You might as well listen to it. And the thing it'll tell you, will tell you, will tell you when you like something. Yes, it will. So why not listen to it and go find something you like to do, something you love to do, and do it. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.